0: We are all tourists, traveling the universe and sampling different realities. Uh, I will continue uh, the discussion of uh, Seth and the things that he described and defined for us that help us understand how this could be. Before I get to that, though, I thought this might be a good time for a little bit of fun. And since we've been talking about how matter is formed and about dreams... I was reminded of a song that came to me many years ago. As you know, when I first discovered many of these concepts, I liked to put a lot of them into song. Well, uh, I went back and found the full verses to the song that uh, had come to me. Uh, I wonder what's behind it all. And as you might expect, by this time, I had forgotten the melody that went along with the words. So what I thought I would do is read the words And since uh, these words are transcripted on the Castos website, you can always get back to them. But I will read the words, and then I'll see what kind of music I can put to them. As Seth told us, when you create a poem or a song or a painting, you're in a state of play, of enjoyment, of freedom. You intend to make something different, to produce a new version of reality. And you create out of love just for the sake of experience. And he said at one time or another, almost everyone has that kind of experience, but children have it often. So I'll read the words to the song, try to put it to music in my head, but then I'll ask you to do the same. Go to the transcription and try to put a melody to at least some of those words. And see what kind of experience you have as a creator of music. So, so the words to that song are, I wonder what's behind it all. It can't be what it seems. The forest still. The buildings tall seem real, but are they dreams? And what of all the sickness and the killings and the war? I can't believe they really are just that and nothing more. They've got to be a tiny piece of big things that make sense. And who's to say that dreams aren't part of very big events? So I will go on dreaming and you can come along. Together we might find out how a thought becomes a song. We'll look behind the magic of the happiest times we've known, and underneath the tragic to see from whence it's grown. All right, now let's see what I can do beyond, on the spot, um, trying to put all this to music. All right, well, here we go. I wonder what's behind it all. It can't be what it seems. The forest still, the buildings tall seem real. But are they dreams? And what of all the sickness and the killings and the war? I can't believe they really are just that and nothing more. They've got to be a tiny piece of big things that make sense. And who's to say that dreams aren't part of very big events? So I will go on dreaming and you can come along. Together we might find out how a thought becomes a song. We'll look behind the magic of the happiest times we've known, and underneath the tragic, to see from whence it's grown. Now, obviously, if I were to try to make make a song, if I were to try to make a song out of that, uh, I would. Uh, be messing with it and changing the tune and so forth but see what you can do have a little fun with it and now we'll get on to uh, the regular subjects that i've been talking about you might remember in the last session i was talking about uh, how seth described the uh, alternate stages or states of consciousness uh, that we can use in creative ways if we wish And I was coming to the point that uh, I was about to make the statement that uh, scientists and not just quantum physicists that I've spoken about in the past, but also scientists in other fields have made statements and come to conclusions that pretty much agree uh, with uh, what Seth has uh, described. So I thought it would be a good time to review some of the fabulous 40 of the quantum uh, physicist theories and then go on to what some other scientists in another field have to say. So just to uh, jog your memory, here are some of those uh, fabulous 40 uh, theories and conclusions of quantum physicists. When you investigate how things happen in the world of the smallest elements of matter, the things that happen, contradict common sense. Next, it's not possible to observe reality without changing it. Next, there's not necessarily an objective reality out there apart from our experience of it. Next, subatomic particles seem to know instantaneously what decisions are made elsewhere, even as far away as another galaxy, and they instantly act on the information. So they might very well be living particles, evaluating and acting on information as we do. Next, the wave function, which represents all possibilities that might happen to anything when it interacts with an observer, is not just a mathematical fiction, but a real thing. And all the possibilities happen. They all actualize in different worlds that coexist with ours. Next, experience tells us the physical world is solid, real, and independent of us, but this is simply not so. Next, there might well be no valid distinction between what is in here in our minds and out there in the world outside of us. Next, what we experience is not external reality, but our interaction with it. The world consists not of things, but of interactions. Next, without us, the entire world we interact with does not exist. We are the creators of the universe. Next, the existence of one ultimate flow of time throughout the physical universe is an incorrect perception. Next, time and space are not separate. There is only one space-time, a continuum that flows continuously. It is more useful to think in terms of a static, non-moving picture of space and time in which events just are, as opposed to a view in which time moves forward and events develop. Events do not develop. They just are. Next, all the past, present, and future exist at once, and for each individual they meet and forever meet at one single point, now. Next, there is no such thing as matter. It is a curvature of the space-time continuum. Matter is actually a series of patterns out of focus. The search for the ultimate stuff of the universe ends with the discovery that there isn't any. Next, the world is fundamentally dancing energy. Physical reality is essentially non-substantial. Matter is simply the momentary manifestation of interacting fields. Next, movements backward and forward in time are no more significant than movements backward and forward in space. Next, there are particle interactions in which, where there was nothing, in a flash, particles come into being and then vanish without a trace. This shows the concept of a completely empty, barren space is simply a notion we've made up. There is no such thing as empty space. 've lived the next one. we've lived so long in our abstractions that instead of realizing they are drawn from the real world, we believe they are the real world. And next, the most fundamental level of reality is an unbroken wholeness which is quote "that which is. It denies the idea that we can analyze the world along the lines of separately and independently existing parts. And last, both being and, quote, non-being are, quote, that which is. Everything, even emptiness, is that which is. There is nothing which is not that which is. All right, well, now for me, those conclusions and theories of eminent quantum physicists lend a lot of credibility to what the Seth entity has told us. But many will disregard these conclusions because they don't know anything about quantum physics or how it relates to us in our daily lives. That, too, is easy to understand. But what if scientists from other fields have been coming to some of the same conclusions for the past 300 years? Now, unlike me, who just regurgitates what a brilliant intellect has shared with us, Several leading scientists over the last few centuries who studied plant life and agriculture figured it out for themselves. They came to many of the same conclusions on their own. Anyone interested would be well advised to read the 1972 bestseller The Secret Life of Plants. That's The Secret Life of Plants by Peter Tompkins and Christopher Bird. Now, it's, it's not a particularly easy read, because there is so much science in it, but it documents how highly respected scientists in Italy, England, Germany, France, Russia, India, the United States, and other places, came to conclusions that support Seth's description of reality. And no less illuminary than Sir James Jeans, a well-known British astronomer, math a mathematician and physicist, when commenting on all that science had learned to that time, stated that the universe was beginning to look more like a great thought than a great machine. If you read that book, you'll also learn about Dr. T.C. Singh in India, who stimulated plant growth with sound, as well as Luigi Galvani in Italy, whose pioneering experiments with electricity are well-known, along with Hungarian Jesuit Maximilian Hell, who both theorized a special vital energy in plants and metals. You'll be introduced, if you read the book, you'll be introduced to Viennese physician Franz Anton Mesmer, famous for his work with electromagnetism, And, of course, the source of the word mesmerized. Now, he detected magnetic fields around humans and cured many people. And also there's Baron Karl von Reichenbach, who discovered creosote that I've worked with a lot in my life and also built awareness of sensitives, people who could see energy emanating from all things. Along the same lines, Georges Lakovsky, a Russian engineer in Paris, in the 1920s, he invented a radiocellulo-oscillator that enabled the normal frequencies of healthy plants to cancel out the frequencies of cancer-producing bacteria. Now, he, too, eventually concluded life was not matter, but rather immaterial vibrations associated with it. But, you know, they're all uh, fairly startling uh, revelations they came up with. But perhaps the most startling revelation or revelations are those that relate to Dr. Albert Abrams, who, with the help of a radio research engineer, developed in the early 20th century an oscilloclast that could emit specific waves capable of curing human afflictions. But, of course, he was, vilita- <laughs> he was vilified by the scientific establishment after his death in 1924. So you wouldn't hear much about him. In 1951, though, two Princeton graduates, one an engineer and the other an electronics experts, used a version of Abrams' machine for agriculture by placing only a photograph of a field of cotton on what they called a collector plate which was attached to the base of the machine, along with a small piece of a substance known to poison cotton pests. Then setting dials and turning on the machine, they achieved an 80 to 90% rate of either killing the beetles or making them disappear and taking off to other places. They then proceeded to work with several farmers on the east and west coasts with the same impressive results so that when the salesmen for the entrenched fertilizer and pesticide companies visited the farms, they were told, well, their products were no longer needed. As you can expect, threatening the fortunes of established industries is never a good way to ensure your survival. The combined forces of the companies, the government, and industry publications spreading falsehoods soon put them out of business. Now, remember now that all they were doing was placing only a photograph of a field of cotton on this collector plate, and they also put a small amount of a substance known to poison cotton pests, and they settled, set their dials and turned on the machine, and the pests were gone. Anyway, their achievements, amazing in themselves, were not nearly as amazing as what occurred not long afterward. That's when other scientists, most notably a fellow named George de la War, and his wife Marjorie, an osteopath. They demonstrated they could achieve the same results with no machine at all but just a diagram of the machine. That's <laughs> yeah, that might seem hard to believe but they did. They also theorized a force similar to Seth's electromagnetic energy units but when skeptical scientists tried to reproduce the results they were unsuccessful. Now, this led to the surprising but the logical conclusion that it was the mind and the intent of the experimenter that were producing the end result. So the observer was obviously creating this material physical reserve, <laughs> result. <laughs> the observer was creating the material physical result. Now, this corresponds to a statement by Seth that we create our own reality with our thoughts and our expectations, something that scientists who currently work with the Hadron Collider are discovering once again. Conclusions like these scientists in various fields, working on practical solutions to important challenges over the century, should give even the most serious doubters of Seth's credibility some pause things that seem strange or nonsensical in one century might be considered common knowledge in another. Now consider for a moment if you told someone just 80 years ago that in the span of a single lifetime, millions of people would carry pocket-sized phones wherever they go and easily place calls to someone on the other side of the planet. know, <laughs> You'd think they were out of their mind. Or if you told them that self-driving cars would be operating on our highways. Or that trips to the moon or an international space station would become so common as to, to be considered almost ho-hum, right? Or that people would attach a headset that would enable them to experience a virtual reality as though it were a part of our physical reality. Who wouldn't believe you could put on a virtual headset... I guess maybe science fiction writers might, but who else would believe that you could put on a headset and experience a virtual reality as though it were part of our own physical reality? Now, from the perspective of looking at just the changes in 80 years about things we might believe or not believe, from that perspective, it becomes a bit easier to imagine that we will make fantastic strides over the next 100 years in learning to free our consciousness from our bodies. To explore the universe instantaneously in an out-of-body state and communicate with advanced intelligent species who guide us to totally new realities. As you know, Bob Monroe has already done that, but who's to say that that kind of, the kind of experiences that Bob had won't become commonplace within the next hundred years? Well, that ends our discussion for today, and uh, I will then, in the next session, summarize uh, our existence beyond the reincarnational reality, which means our existence as uh, travelers or tourists throughout the universe. Uh, In that session, I'll just review all the things we've been talking about and how it all supports the idea that we are tourists. Again, I'm Dan McEnany bringing you Lessons from the Helpful Dead.